Well, hey, everybody. We wanted to take a little time and uh, do a special Father's Day video and just talk about kind of differ, differing uh, father issues and things that we face as men and dads and how to do our best and lead our families, lead them toward the Lord and uh, to express love uh, to them. So I gathered some of my friends here. We kind of have the spectrum of fatherhood here. So this is John Summer. He's got uh, teenagers. Your oldest just graduated from high school. Uh, this is Kenton Van Dyne. He's got young kids. And then this is Joel Hawthorne. He is the senior among us. <laughs> so we wanted to give give kind of a range of, of fathering and kind of hit all the ages and um, just have a conversation, kind of uh, invite you to sit in with us and uh, pick up what you can pick up. So um, guys, I was thinking through, I wrote down some questions, just kind of guide our conversation a little bit. Um, as a dad, like work is a big part of our lives, career pressures, all that kind of stuff. And so I thought maybe we'd just start there with work-life balance. Um, as it's evolved over time, I'd say my focus has gone from when I was younger, uh, shifting it from being a career to the ministry aspect. Mm. So learning from the mistakes. I think mm. that's critical as a, as a father and a dad, is that you always pause and look at, what am I doing right and wrong? And, and, and really, again, for me, it was stepping back saying, as a believer, what am I doing and why? And how does that match up with what my faith really means to me and really testing that? And there's no doubt from when I was in my 20s to 30s, uh, for me, I grew more in my 40s. Because then all of a sudden life, the kids are getting older. It's like, what is this about as a dad and what it means to my family? Yeah, and so really your identity in Christ drives everything, not your identity in your career. Right. Drives everything. I think um, they're sponges, right? The whole time our kids are looking at us and they are they are watching what we do. Yeah. I mean, so uh, I think influence is really trying to live out what the Bible would say, live out what it looks like to be an authentic man for our sons and how to love your daughter well. And um, they see through that pretty quickly. They can see when dad's just trying to push his agenda <clears throat> and they can see when I'm really passionate and trying to follow the Lord as best as I can. Yeah, my father's... I've been with the Lord for almost nine years now, and He still fathers me. Yeah. Like I, I still hear Him, I still think about what He would do, and and the the spiritual relationship that is a, a father's relationship with their children. It, it, it bonds to your heart in all the good ways and in all the bad ways. I think for the stage of life that I'm at right now, um, you know, my kids are real young, but uh, I have a boy, girl, boy. And for me, the boys are um, extremely easy to interact with because they're very active. Uh, and what they want from me is my energy. Um, but what I've come to realize is that while my boys want my energy, my daughter wants my attention. She, she literally just wants me to um, embrace and spend time with her. And so she, uh, while with my boys, I can just pick up a ball and go play, and they're both right in. Uh, my daughter will be off to the side, kind of spectating and you know I have to be very conscious of those kind of situations where it's sometimes I need to put down the ball and just go sit because my daughter likes to to talk and to be creative and to draw and to color and to imagine and those kind of things and um, it's been a very conscious effort to relate to my daughter and to try to find ways that we can spend time together and to have that meaningful relationship. For all dads out there and for us like I think we need to release ourselves from the idea that um, 
if I if I just did it perfect, my kids would be perfect. <laughs> Anybody who ever tells you that, you should ignore because they're fools, truly, right? right. right. So there, there is no such thing as a perfect dad. There is no such thing as a perfect fathering system. Right. No matter what book you read, doesn't matter. Um, an authentic father, loving Christ, pursuing his kids, transfers the love, and everything else is kind of the details. But that will give your children the foundation to, to make their faith their own, to work out things and uh, their salvation, fear, and troubling, all those things that the Lord gives. Well, man, I hope this has been good for you and, and helpful. I thank you guys for taking sure. time out of your day to be here. And um, this is what we wanted to do, just as a Father's Day present and surprise. We uh, believe in you. We love you. We respect you. And uh, I know I love conversations like this. I, we're all rookies. Every father is a rookie at every stage of fathering. <laughs> so uh, to be able to, to hear other guys and uh, uh, to hear their hearts, I hope that's helpful as well. So happy Father's Day and God bless. Well, thanks for being here this Father's Day weekend. Welcome to Grace. And uh, I loved just hearing a little snippet of that. There's about a 40-minute version. So dads, if you want to check out the rest of it, make sure to catch up online and uh, catch kind of the, the rest of the perspective that comes through from those dads. Awesome stuff. And I know uh, for me as a dad, I've got four kids. My passion for, for being a dad really came out of my experience kind of growing up. So my parents split when I was really young, when I was about one years old, and, and uh, my dad lived out of state, and he would visit on holidays, and we'd connect, and I would miss him like crazy. But I really didn't understand kind of the, the gap that was left by not growing up with dad until God brought a stepdad into my life, you know, and, and I met him when I was about nine years old, and, and uh, he became kind of that dad figure in my life, and he brought stability and love and all the stuff that a dad brings in, and, and I was like, man, this is what it means to have a dad, and he is a great man, awesome man, and he would have really led the way in our lives, in my life, in, uh, in wonder, and he would have set the tone for that. I remember watching him. He'd wake up early in the morning, especially in the summer or springtime, and I'd get a cup of coffee, walk around the yard, and just kind of watch the sunrise and admire kind of what God had given him. Look at, look at his home and his yard and kind of just look around. He would stop us in the middle of kind of family stuff and point out pieces of beauty and, and would kind of draw our attention to that. I remember thinking, I love how grateful he is and how thankful he is. I said, I kind of want to be like that when I grow up. And uh, he, he wasn't perfect, right, like, like any of us dads. But he made a huge impact on my life and continues to. And that's what we want you to know. That's why being a dad is a big deal. And, and if you are a dad today, if, if someone calls you dad, whether you're a stepdad or a biological dad, or you've just kind of taken maybe somebody under your wing and they think of you in a fatherly way, want you to know your role matters. And it matters a ton. And uh, we're super thankful here at Grace for you. And I want to pray for you. And I kind of say thanks for, for what God is doing in and through your lives. Let's pray together. Father, I want to say thank you uh, for the dads that you have entrusted to us. And God, the, the way that they love and they lead their kids, the presence that they have in their children's lives. And I pray your blessing on them. Continue to, to protect them and help them to be the providers and the lover of their, their children and help them to seek after their hearts. And God, we think of each of us here who has lost a father today. God, I pray that you'd give your peace and your comfort for those who are hurting. And uh, God, for all of us who are actively fathering and kind of playing the role of dad, help us to have a continued passion 
and vision for our children uh, that comes from you and that comes from your heart. And Lord, we're just so grateful that we get to love the children you've given us. Lord, it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, good stuff. Thanks, dads. Excited that you're here. And uh, today what we want to do is continue in our series. Uh, We started this just the last few weeks ago. It's called My Get To Life, Finding Wonder in the Everyday. And uh, what we said is that the seasonal shift that we're in, right, coming out of spring into summer, it causes kind of a natural pause moment uh, for a bunch of us. A bunch of us would be finishing school. We've just finished exams or the semester. A bunch of us are going to be taking time off work or traveling. Uh, Some of you may be even doing that watching live stream. And a a ton of us are going to be taking time to to watch the Cavs win the finals. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. Cannot wait for that game. Right, But it, it, it causes a little moment for us to pause and to get perspective on our lives and look and say kind of how am I viewing the circumstances that I'm in right now? And what we've been saying is that there's a whole spectrum of how I can view life, that I can look at my life and if I get kind of into one mindset, I can view myself as living the have-to life. And my life looks like a series of obligations and I'm kind of trapped in it and I feel a little bit like a slave to my life. We said on the other end of the spectrum, I can view my life and my circumstances through the lens of my get-to life where my life feels like a set of privileges, right? And I, I feel a sense of honor and joy that comes from being where I am. And we said that, that spectrum is going to be all over the place. And I can kind of begin one phase with a lot of energy and a little bit at a time that I might drift into the have-to life more and more. And so what we've said over the last uh, two weeks, kind of laying down that conversation is we looked at some of the different circumstances that we can be in. And we said, when I'm in a place where it's ideal or I'm busy or I'm mundane kind of in life, a very simple switch of language can go a long way, right? Just literally replacing the language of saying, I have to, instead of saying that, saying I get to, can bring to my mind a sense of gratitude and a sense of privilege, right? That little switch of language, a bunch of you have been telling me over the last handful of weeks, this is making a big impact in my life. Just literally thinking that this is something I get to do. I love it. And last week, we looked at the reality that my circumstances are not always good and they're not always easy. Sometimes in the middle of extremely painful things, you know, when I'm in the midst of suffering and trials, how do I change my perspective then? And we said that it takes a little bit longer and it's a little bit harder, but even in the midst of suffering, I can find wonder and I can even view my life still as something that I get to do as I kind of see God in it. So if you missed either of those conversations, I'd love to have you catch up online, graceohio.org, and hit the media tab and you can watch or listen to those. Also, you can do that through the app and kind of get caught up on the conversation. And what we want to do today is we want to go kind of a layer underneath all of that. You know, if we said, if there's, there's one key to wonder, right? if there was an engine that really drove my get-to life, what would that boil down to? And we want to take a good look at that. And what it really is ultimately going to boil down to is it's a conversation about the heart and setting my heart on the right things and having it in a place where it's open and it's soft. Because here's what we said. When I look at the spectrum of have to and get to, at the end of the day, it, where I land, it matters a ton, right? If I, if I land in a place where I am viewing my life through the have-to grid, that's going to mark me and it's going to mark my heart more and more, 
Right? If, I, if I'm consistently over here, I'm going to see bitterness rise up in my heart and resentment. My heart will become harder and I'll become more and more cynical. We said the same thing about my get-to life, right? That, that there's an effect that's going to have on me if I live here more and more consistently that I'm going to find more and more peace in my heart, more contentment. My heart is going to be open more and more, and I'm going to become a person of wonder. I'm going to see more of what God is doing. We said this, this thing is huge. It's a big deal where I land on the spectrum, and ultimately it boils down to the position of my heart. And so we want to look at that and, and kind of look at what it means to get my heart in the right place. And I want to warn you, today we're just going to kind of talk about what it means to get it there. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to keep it there. But we want to make sure we can kind of tee up and say, how do I find that engine of my get-to life and make sure that I'm actually getting my heart to the right place? And, and the writer of Proverbs, he's going to talk about the heart. I think it's a profound verse. I wanted to throw it up here on your screen real quick. I did not put this in your notes, so jot it down in your notes if you want to grab the reference. Here's what Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, says. Profound wisdom here. He says, above all else, guard your heart. Right? Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Right? If, if there's a bottom line, an engine to all that we do, it's going to come down to our heart. Right? It's where we make decisions. It's what we live off of. My heart is kind of the center of who I am. And so we want to look into that. And I think one of the tricky things about the heart is, is that it's hard for me to see where it is, right? I can't know, is my heart in a place where it's open or where it's closed? And it can often just move on me, right? All of a sudden, kind of subtly, a little bit at a time, it can move. You guys ever uh, go swimming at the ocean and you're playing in the waves, your kids are, right? And they're playing, having a great time, not paying attention to the shoreline or where you kind of set up camp. And all of a sudden, as they're they just move down the shore and they'll go 50 feet without kind of realizing they've drifted away. I think that's how the heart is, right? That I can start in a place where it's right where I want it to be and then before I know it, it's moved on me and it's become harder and harder and it's kind of gotten away. How do I know that that drift has happened? This is part of the conversation today and I was looking through a series of articles and research and I found this great blog post by a pastor in Canada, and he was writing about the early warning signs of a hard heart, okay, early warning signs to say, ooh, I may be drifting a little bit. Here's some ways to know if, if my heart has drifted. So this pastor's name's uh, Kerry Newhoff, said pastor in Canada, and he gave us five warning signs to know if my heart has moved. Here you go. Here's one of the first one. He says, you don't really celebrate and you don't really cry. You don't really celebrate, you don't really cry. He says, well, you might on the outside, but in reality, I don't feel it as much. You ever look at that and think, man, I can think back to a time where it felt like the highs were higher and the lows were lower. Like I felt my experience of life more deeply than I do today, and there's more of a, a sense of numbness. You don't really celebrate and you don't really cry. It's the first one. The second one, you stop genuinely caring that that the care that should come from my life is not there as much. Something's called compassion fatigue, that I, that I care so much that I kind of care my way out of caring, and, and I don't feel it as much as I used to. Number three, it says, so much of what's supposed to be meaningful feels mechanical. It's from your personal relationships to family to work, some of the feelings gone. 
or have that where life is supposed to be meaningful. I'm grabbing the moments as they come, and instead, it kind of feels like my life is, is a machine, and I'm kind of caught in the gears of it and grinding through life. Number four, the passion is hard to come by. Uh, that when I think about what gets me out of bed in the morning, it's harder and harder for me to see kind of the, the reason why, right? It's not, it doesn't mean that I'm in a bad place. It just means I can't find the thing that really drives me anymore. Where's my passion? What's happened to it? Number five, it says you no longer believe the best about people. Even when you meet someone, you're thinking about what's going to go wrong, not what's going to go right. And this, is, I believe, is a heart of cynicism, and I'm starting to see more and more of the worst, and that's what's kind of highlighted in my heart. And these, these five things are kind of, a, I think, a good litmus test, a set of warning signs that may go off and say, ooh, my heart might be moving in the wrong direction. And I don't know about you guys, but I can relate to some of these. You know, in the last few months, I've been telling you that the things I'm sharing, I am in the thick of learning myself in experience. And I would say in the last two months, some of these things could have been said of me and been true of me. And I'm saying, I don't want this to happen. I want to see my heart be in a place where it is open and soft, and I'm being captured by wonder. I want my passion to be alive. And I think we all do. Right? So how do we do that? I want to dive into this conversation about the heart. It's a pretty deep one as we start to look at the reality of where we fix our hearts. Do you know that we can do that? That at the end of the day, my heart is going to land on some things, and that I'm the one who gets to choose that. And actually, it's a really big deal, and it has a huge part to play in my heart's kind of staying in the right place. So let me show you this. We're going to look at uh, some of the letters of Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Go ahead and grab your Bibles there if you have one. And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from underneath the chairs there. It's page 805 in those Bibles, and if you need a copy of God's Word, take that with you and uh, take it home. Make that your Bible. Love for you to have that. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. As you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background because there's a lot going on in the book of 2 Corinthians. This is actually one of my favorite letters. I love the Bible, but this one is one of my favorites, and it's really just grabbed a big piece of my heart. And here's what's happening. The Apostle Paul, right, leader of the early church, he started this church in Corinth, a city, right, the, the, kind of in the ancient world, and Paul would have initiated that relationship with the Corinthian church. He started it. He's got this long history with them, and this would have been probably his third or fourth letter to that church. But some things have happened where he, he started the church with the message of Jesus. We call it the gospel, right? Here at Grace, we say we know it, we live it, we give it away. It's the story of Jesus or the gospel, and Paul would have began that church with that message and said, here's what you need to know, and if you put your faith in this, you'll become a church, and they did that. And over time, what happened was some false teachers entered into the church, and they began influencing that church and kind of drawing it away. And they became so influential in the church that people kind of stopped listening to Paul a little bit and started listening to these false teachers. We could say their hearts actually moved from having this connection to the message that Paul brought, and it started to move to the message that these false teachers brought. And Paul, he's, he's a pastor, right? He's like a father, and he would look and say, this is unnerving to me. It's scary to me. I love you. I'm passionate for you, and I'm going to fight for your heart. 
And so he writes this letter. It's kind of the backdrop of the whole letter to the second to uh, the second Corinthians here. So here's what we got: Second Corinthians, uh, chapter six, verse eleven. Here's what Paul says. He says, "We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open wide uh, and open wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us." He says, as a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. He's going to look at the Corinthians and say, hey, you know us, you love us, we brought you Jesus, we've opened our hearts, we want you to respond in the same way. Would you open your hearts back to us? And what Paul's doing here when he says open wide your hearts, he's not just saying, hey, let's be friends, it's deeper than that. He wants them to understand and to know hey, if you don't open your hearts to me, you're not going to open your heart to my message because Paul's the only one bringing the message of Jesus. Right? That, that's his heart. He's saying, please hear me, listen to me. You know me. You know the message that I brought. Don't disconnect from it. And he's going to finish this out. Listen to it and we'll explain it. Starting in verse 14, Paul says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of living God. And as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters says the Lord Almighty. What Paul's going to say here, he says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. And what he means by that, he's not saying don't have friendships or talk to people who don't know Jesus, not at all. He's saying don't be yoked with people. Don't come under the teaching. The idea of yoked is, is a kind of a, a livestock term where they would have animals would pull weight and there would be a lead animal that would kind of pull weight. You would come under the yoke of that other animal and follow in that train. It's the idea of coming under someone's authority or their teaching. Jesus would use that phrase, right? Take my yoke upon you. Take my teaching and my authority upon you. Follow my way, we could say. And what Paul's going to say here is don't listen. Don't be yoked together with these people that are giving you a different message than what Jesus is bringing you. Right? Don't set your heart on the message that, that's coming through these other people. I believe if Paul was speaking to us today, he, he would kind of give the same warning. Right? Don't, don't set your heart on, on the messages that are out there. Right? Don't look at the political landscape and say, I'm going to set my heart on a political outcome. Not sure if any of us are actually doing that or not, but right, that's, if this candidate wins or if that candidate wins, it all is going to be lost, right, or, or all is going to be gained. Paul would look and say, don't, don't fix your heart there. Don't set your heart on that message. He would say, don't, don't look at the, the changing financial landscape and set your heart on how that's going to play. Don't fix your heart on, on the cultural tide, we look and say, man, the world has changed. Our culture has changed like crazy in the last 10 or 15 years. Should I get on board with the changing message of the day so I'm not left behind? Paul would say, no. Right? Don't do that. Don't set your heart on that. What I want you to do is to set your heart on the message that I gave you, to, to stay open to it and to fix your heart 
and your mind on the message of the gospel. And here's what we said is Paul would look and say, right, open your hearts, have an open heart. Here's the reality that an open heart is a heart that is open to the gospel, open to the message of Jesus. That's kind of the way that Paul is defining it, that he would look and say, my heart is open when I'm open to receiving the gospel. Say no to this other teaching. It's not that I'm not informed by it, that I know by it, but when I look at where I kind of plant my flag and say, this is what I'm going to be about, this is where my heart is set, I want to land that on the message of Christ and the message of the gospel. So we ask the question, what is, what is the message of the gospel? Like, what does it break down to be, right? That's a word that's going to show up all over the place. What do we mean by that? Let me show you how Paul breaks it down. It's actually pretty fascinating. Ephesians chapter 2, you can go about 10 pages to the right in your Bibles. It's uh, page 814 in those Bibles under your chairs. And Paul, in another letter to another church, will kind of lay it out and show and remind what the message of the gospel is. Here's what he says in Ephesians 2.1. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, so he says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Deserving of wrath. Paul's going to look and say, in background, God created us. He loves us. He knows us. He wants us to know him. But we have all, we've all failed God. All of us are sinful people, right? Have I ever lied? Have I ever stolen? Have I ever looked lustfully at another human being who's not my spouse? Absolutely, right? I think all of us would say, of course I've done something I'm not proud of. Each and all of us would do that. Paul is going to say the thing is about that is that that's a big deal. The fact that I am a, a sinful person, we would say it this way, that I am deeply flawed is a big deal because what happens because of this deep flaw that is within me, my sin nature, what happens if I left unchecked, I would be separated from God forever. That God would look at me and say, the, the sin that you've committed, I, I can't know you. I can't have a relationship with you. And if I don't do something about this, what will happen is you'll be separated from me forever, even in eternity. And that's where hell comes from. Right? It's, it's kind of terrible news that, that I, am, I am deeply flawed and I have this problem. And what am I going to do about it? There's another side of the story that comes through that, that Paul will begin to lay out. And not only am I deeply flawed, but I am deeply loved. I am deeply loved. So God, of course, sees and knows the flaw that I have and takes unbelievable steps to care for it. Watch how it plays out in the rest of the passage. Ephesians 2.4, Paul says, but because of his great love for us, because of his great love for us, God the Father looking and saying, I love you, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed to us in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He goes on. 
For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So here, here God would look at humanity, and He would look at each of us and say, I am so absolutely passionate about you. Even though we've rebelled against God, and even though we've failed Him in all kinds of ways, God would look and say, I love you so much, I am I am sending Jesus. And Jesus would come, live a perfect life, right? He put skin on, lived it all out, did God's will to the T, and then willingly allowed himself to be beaten and suffer and tortured and die on a cross. But what that does is that took care of my flaw, right? Paid for my sin. And God's Love is proven by the fact that he would send his own son to die for me. My flaw is cared for in the sacrifice of Jesus. And in all of this, I'm a person who is in need of mercy, but God has met my need through Jesus because he loves me so much and he has chosen to love me, right? Regardless of anything I've done. Because this idea that I'm deeply flawed, it means some things, right? It means that I need Jesus, that, that, that I can't on my own save myself, right? The positive thinking and firing up some exciting inspirational things, that's not going to save me or fix this flaw, right? Turning over a new leaf isn't going to save me or fix this flaw. Self-will and self-help and being a good person is not enough to fix this flaw. I actually needed someone to come from the outside and make me new from the inside, That's what Jesus did. Like that was the cost and the price tag and the wonder of God's love for me. And when I stop and I look at that and I put my faith in that message, what that means, what's that saying to me? That that I was someone deserving of wrath, that I'm literally someone who God bought back from the dead. That I was on a road to condemnation And now I don't have to go on that road. Not only do I not have to go on that road, but I'm now on the road to heaven. I'm on the road to glory, and I can know Jesus, and now I get to share in the reward somehow that Jesus earned. That is is mind-blowing. This is the message that Paul brought. Paul would look and say, remember, Corinthians, this, this is my gospel, that I'm deeply flawed, but I'm deeply loved And man, what great news that is that I am someone who can now be rescued from myself and saved forever all because of the passion and the love of Jesus. It's fantastic. It's life-changing. And here's what happens. Paul knows, and this is how it works for us, that when my heart's open, I'm going to be open to that message. And when I'm open to that message and I can set my heart on that message, when I would look and say, this is going to be the message that defines me. I want to live this message not just as a one-time event that I, I looked and said, yeah, I want to accept Jesus when I'm five and then the gospel's over with. When I look and say, I want the gospel to be the message of my everyday life, what happens is that starts to change me because a heart that's set on the gospel will keep my heart open. Will keep my heart open. Here's how it works. When I embrace the gospel daily, what happens when I wake up in a day and remember, and I'm deeply flawed, and I'm deeply forgiven, and I'm deeply loved, 
I embrace that day differently, right? Because I've got a brand new lease on life. If I'm someone who's bought back from the dead, someone who doesn't have to go to hell and someone who gets to go to heaven and someone who God chose to love on his own, that's mind-blowing. And when I come across a circumstance, what will happen is I can run that through the grid of the gospel and it will protect my heart, it will guard it, and it will keep my heart open. Let me show you what I mean. When I sin, right, I sin just like everybody else sins, and when I sin, I can look and say, you know what? God has loved me. He's forgiven me. I'm deeply flawed. I come back to the gospel. I thank Jesus for his forgiveness in my life. And rather than running down a road of guilt and shame and hardening my heart and protecting myself, I can say, Jesus, thank you, right, that you've forgiven me. And guess what happens? My heart opens back up. And I I get blown away all over again that Jesus would forgive me. See, the gospel is not a one-time event. The gospel is for every day. And if I have a heart that is set on the gospel, what will happen is wonder can show up in my life every day. Right? This is how it works. I get blown away all over again by God's love for me. And when someone offends me, this is going to happen. When someone disrespects me or they sin against me because they are deeply flawed just like I am deeply flawed, it's going to happen. Rather than allowing bitterness or vengeance or unforgiveness to, to work up in my heart and see my heart close, I can look and say, man, God, that person is deeply flawed and you love them deeply just like you love me. I know what it is to be forgiven and now I can forgive as you have forgiven me and it opens my heart back up. And wonder can explode in my life as I continue to, to go through the gospel, my heart opens, I return back to it, and I have an open heart fixated on the gospel. Here's what I think is happening. Look at the rest of the passage in Ephesians 2. It says, for we are, verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word handiwork is masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. And what starts to happen when I can live the gospel every day, not as a one-time religious event, not just being a person that goes to church, but when I can experience being deeply loved and deeply flawed on a day-in and day-out basis, I start to see the wonder of God working in and through my life as he leads me to do good works. It's kind of like that shore thing, right, when I'm at the beach. I have to pick a place and set up camp somewhere, right? If I look and say that, I want to have an open heart that lives a life of wonder. If that is home base, what will happen is I will always drift from that. It's natural. I always have to fight against it. But the gospel, when I continue to engage the gospel, it will move me back towards home base over and over and over again whether I drift five feet or five miles down the beach, what happens is I can always, through interacting with the gospel, be led back to Jesus and led back to an open heart. It's fascinating. I had this amazing experience this week. This guy came in off the street, never met him before. He's never been to Grace Church, never even heard of Grace Church. He showed up at our office, and, man, he was weeping. He was crying He's sitting on our couch, and 
uh, one of the ladies came and grabbed me and said, hey, there's this guy. He's, he's really upset. Can you talk to him? And I was like, absolutely. Let's, let's, let's do it. You know, and I met him and brought him into my office and said, hey, brother, what's going on here? Tell me your story. And he says, Ryan, about three years ago, I looked at my faith and I said, I'm done. I left the faith. I decided I don't want to believe anymore. I'm listening to him. and He goes on and he says, since then, I found myself in a place I never thought I'd be. And he says, I, just in the last week, I have wrecked my life. And he said, I never would have done these things. I, I would never be this kind of person if I would have stayed close to Jesus. And he goes, I went to five different places to try to find someone to pray with me and help me reconnect with Jesus. And he would say, I don't really even care what happens in my life anymore. I just know I need to get back here. He woke up way down the beach line. And he said, what happened? Where am I? I've drifted. I've strayed. And I want to be back home. I looked at this guy and I said, brother, I'll pray with you. Absolutely, I'll help you reconnect with with the Lord, but I need to tell you a few things first. You need to understand no matter what you've done, no matter who you've hurt, no matter how much that flaw has shown up in your life, God the Father is so excited that you are here right now, and He is thrilled to embrace you and meet you right where you are. He loves you, and anything that you've done, it will be and can be and is forgiven. I need you to know that the Father loves you, and he's eager to forgive you. Just weeps, right? And he prayed and said, Jesus, I want want to come back home. I want to set my heart here in so many words. And I prayed for him, and it's mind-blowing. And I started to see the, the importance of this that if I drift five feet down the river or five miles, I'm one step away from coming back home, that that God will bring me back, and he longs to do that. Here's the thing. I can know Jesus and not live the gospel every day. Did you know that? And I would say in this series, this is part of what I've been realizing, and I've had to look and say, Jesus, I'm sorry that this message isn't the practical message of my day in and day out life. Will you forgive me and will you help me to come back home? Doesn't mean I left my faith. It doesn't mean I've abandoned Jesus. It means I was living on my own. Because this is what happens if I forget any of this. If I forget that I'm deeply loved, I'm going to start trying to create love on my own through performance, right? Through earning it, through net worth, through right? Making myself look, whatever it is, I'm going to try to earn people's love again because I forgot that the love that I have is right here. God gave it to me. And if I start to forget that I'm deeply flawed, what will happen is I will become self-righteous and I become the standard in which I judge everybody else. And rather than seeing the wonder of other people, I start to see the flaws and how they don't meet up to my standards. See, any drift from the gospel will create a hard heart. If I lock into the gospel, it will keep my heart open. It's fascinating that wonder will come out in the process, and this is the engine of my get-to life because every day I wake up a person bought back from the dead. 
It's amazing. It can be. But it starts with the decision, right? Where am I going to set up camp? And what's going to keep me connected and right where I need to be? Guys, and some of us, we're here and we're maybe hearing this for the first time and, and the gospel, it sounds new. And maybe it is new. And I would ask you the question, if that's where you are today, is your heart open to that message? When you hear, man, I'm deeply flawed, I I recognize that, I admit that. When you hear that you're deeply loved, can you believe that? That in Jesus, the love of God and the justice of God all comes together, man, and it's God's passion for your heart and that he's eager to forgive you. Would you look and would you accept that? I did that as a freshman in college. I heard my friend tell me, in essence, this message, and I said, that's what I need. I want to say yes. If you've never made that decision, it will be the most life-changing decision you've ever made. Say yes to Christ and ask for his forgiveness and see the gospel start to show up in your life. I said, for the, for the rest of us, if, if I've looked back and I said the gospel and I maybe came to know Jesus as an adult or maybe as a child and I want to ask the question, not, not did I say yes to Jesus once, but am I following Jesus on a daily basis? Is this fighting the drift in my life to keep my heart open, to, to keep me coming back to, to home base? And I would say if I'm in a place where I've drifted from the gospel, I think you need to do what I did and look at God and say, Lord, I need to live here more and more. I'm trying to live life too independently. I want to live in the reality of your love and your forgiveness in my life, Jesus. If you need to maybe reconnect with Christ today, I think that's the decision to make. Next week, we'll talk more and more about how to. But it starts with a decision. And if you're a dad today, let me say this. There is no more loving thing you can do for your family than to land your heart squarely here. To say, Jesus will be the most important relationship in my life. The message of the gospel will be my message. And no other competing message will ever have its rule and reign in my heart. I'm going to lock into this, and as my heart stays open, wonder will explode. And you know that that's where God's glory shows up in my life as I find joy and wonder in who he is. So I'm going to have the band come out. I want us to, to think and to pray and to decide to put Jesus and his message either in the center of my life for the first time or back into the center if I've drifted away, right? But where's my heart today? Is it in a place that can say, I've set it on Jesus. I love him. I know him. And I want his message to come alive in my heart. Let's pray together. Father, we want to say thank you. Lord, thank you that you have bought us back from the dead. There's a new lease on life. That God, I don't have to pay for what I deserve. 
God, would, would you make that real to me more and more? God, my, my days here on earth are bought with borrowed time. Lord, it's, it's your sacrifice that, that gives me life and makes me new. Lord, help me to live in reality and live in light of that and to see every gift and every offense and every need that I have for forgiveness, God, back through the grid of your truth. We want to choose to put our hearts there, Jesus. Would you give us courage to do that? To lead our families there? To say you are the key relationship in my heart and in my life. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. And we want to love you back with everything we do. It's in your name we pray, Christ. Amen. Amen.